Welcome to the Gospel Reverb Podcast. Gospel Reverb is an audio gathering for preachers, teachers, and Bible thrill seekers. Each month, our host, Anthony Mullins, will interview a new guest to gain insights and preaching nuggets mined from select passages of Scripture in that month's Revised Common Lectionary. The podcast's passion is to proclaim and boast in Jesus Christ, the one who reveals the heart of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now, on to the episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to the latest episode of Gospel Reverb. Gospel Reverb is a podcast devoted to bringing you insights from Scripture, found in the Revised Common Lectionary, and sharing commentary from a Christ-centered and Trinitarian view. I'm your host, Anthony Mullins, and it brings me joy to welcome our guest, Gavin Henderson. Gavin is the superintendent of churches and pastors in Europe for Grace Communion International. He lives in Great Britain with his wife, Sinead, and their three children, Nova, Digby, and Brogan. Gavin, thank you for being with us. Welcome to the podcast. And since this is your first time joining us, we'd love to know a little bit about you, your story, and how you're participating with the Lord these days. Thank you, Anthony. And it's a a real joy to join you on the podcast here. And uh, I've been working for Grace Community International for a while now in uh, Europe. And uh, it's a real joy to work with uh, a number of small groups and churches that we have across the region. And it's it's such a joy to wake up each day and to know that you can participate in ministry. That's not to say that there aren't challenges, but it's it's a real joy to to have that purpose and, and sense of direction in my life. And uh, I've been a Christian for uh, uh, what seems like most of my life, but certainly uh, when I first felt the, the, the call to ministry um, quite a, a while ago now, uh, it took me by surprise. And, and it's such a joy to uh, be involved in Christian ministry, and it's a joy to be able to be a part of this podcast. So thanks, Anthony. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad you could join us. And So let's do it. We're here to talk about the scripture passages from the lectionary, and we have five pericopes this month. We're going to start with Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. We're calling it Welcome Me. Matthew 11, 16 through 19, and 25 through 30, real rest. Romans chapter 8, 1 through 11, in step with the Spirit. Then Romans chapter 8, 12 through 25, adoption. And we'll wrap up with Romans chapter 8, 26 through 39. God is for us. Hallelujah. Let me read the first pericope of the month. It's Matthew chapter 10, 40 through 42. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. It is the Revised Common Lectionary Passage for Proper 8 in Ordinary Time, which falls on July the 2nd. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. Gavin, two words stand out to me in this passage, welcome and reward. They show up repeatedly. And I imagine it's easy to reduce our teaching down to do this and you will receive that, sort of a quid pro quo religion, right? So what should we make of the relationality of these two words and actions? Yeah, certainly when we read this passage of Scripture, those are two of the words that really stand out. And it is easy to kind of adopt that mindset or to take that 
approach when we're seeking to preach on this passage of Scripture. Uh, one of the things I would say that welcome is, of course, a response. So um, whenever we think of, of, of welcome, it's not that we're initiating, uh, but rather we're responding to something that has already happened. And in the case of the examples we see in the Scripture, of course, uh, you have the prophet who's, who, who's turning up. You have the righteous person who has arrived. And so the welcoming there is a response. But I think if you look at the context of this scripture as a whole and, you know, preceding this passage in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 10, uh, one of the things um, that really kind of strikes you is that Jesus has been sending out his disciples. And so this passage, when we kind of understand it within the context of a, uh, a sending out of the disciples, is really encouragement for those of us who participate in sharing the good news, uh, because whenever we go out into the world to share the good news, you know, I, I think it's normal to have a fear about how people will receive us, how people will respond. And really what Jesus is saying in this passage is, is, is he's encouraging us about how much God values uh, our work and what we are doing in uh, uh, in this. So it, it is really demonstrating the love that God has for his disciples. Uh, so if you were to welcome a prophet in, uh, in the name of a prophet uh, and you gave him welcome, then the prophet's reward is, is, is he would share his insight. He, he would share uh, what he came to say. Uh, likewise, if a righteous person turns up and you welcome a righteous person, a righteous person will obviously respond positively to your welcome and, and you will receive a reward. And so the same is true when we go out to share the gospel message that those who respond to the gospel message, uh, you know, uh, God recognizes how they treat uh, the disciples who go out and share the good news. And, and this is encouraging for us. Um, but I think this is really the, the kind of focus uh, uh, of this passage. And so it kind of redefines how we think about uh, welcome and reward, because really this is encouraging us that when we go out and share the good news, God God blesses those who welcome the good news, and, and we can take encouragement uh, uh, from that fact uh, as we go out and share the gospel. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective because it, it, it frames reward in terms of the here and now. We, we talk about living in the inaugurated kingdom of God, the already but not yet. And sometimes we can think of reward as the not yet. That's something to come. But Jesus says that, you know, when we welcome someone, we welcome him. And isn't that the reward, you know, in the here and now that we yeah. experience something of Christ's presence? You know, Jesus said, um, he referred to little ones. Uh, and I've heard a lot of sermons that sometimes make me a little cringed when I hear who those little ones actually are. What say you, and what is a Christ-like response to Jesus's words? Yeah, so I, I think the word little one, um, certainly if you read in the commentaries, you can see a lot of debate about, you know, uh, who is being referred to. And I think in in many ways, it's referring to those who are sometimes held in the least estimation by society. I think, sadly, sometimes it's even talking about those called, you know, held in the least estimation by the church. Uh, sadly, even in the church, there are, you know, people who aren't always valued in the way that 
they should. And I think this passage challenges us in in how we look at others um, and how we respond uh, to others in the faith. Um, it's, 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 it's not, you know, a judgment on people's faith. Quite the contrary. I think what it's doing is is it's challenging us in how we respond to people, even the people that aren't held in in, in high estimation by others around them. And you know, one of the things that's a kind of standout is um, I think John Calvin, when he was speaking um, on uh, this verse in his commentary, uh, he talks about how if you actually think about what is said in this verse. Uh, you know, whoever gives even a cup of cold water. Well, really, a cup of cold water is the very kind of meanest office of kindness. That's how Calvin refers to it, that you can offer to somebody. You know, uh, you're not even boiling the water to make a cup of tea. You're not cooking anything. Really, you're just giving them the very basics that they need. But even if if those very basics are given, you know, God doesn't forget <laughs> even the smallest of kindness that are shown to, you know, the the what would seemingly be by society and, 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 and others as the very least uh, of his disciples. And so really this is, I, I think, quite encouraging for us because I think for many of us when we engage, you know, we, we don't necessarily feel that we are these bastions of the faith uh, that go out there. Often we find and, and uh, have a personal view of ourselves that's a lot more modest as Christians and uh, this verse is just encouraging us, I think, that, that God doesn't overlook uh, even the smallest of kindnesses uh, that is done to, to those who are his disciples, those who choose to follow Jesus Christ. Um, so I, I, I think there's a, a number of kind of uh, uh, challenges for us, a, a number of ways that it encourages us to have a Christ-like response to Jesus' word. But really, it makes us consider uh, what we our views of other people, how we view them, and how we respond to them as well. well that's well said. And I think one of the things that's helped me as I reflect on this uh, particular scripture through the years is to recognize that sometimes I'm the little one. You know, it, it is a joy to give the basics, as you said, Calvin referred to, to someone in need, but sometimes I'm the one in need, right? And I think that gives us a perspective of humility, even as we go out to serve others. Thank you for that. Yeah. Let's move on to our next passage of the month. It's Matthew chapter 11, 16 through 19, and 25 through 30. It is a revised common lectionary passage for proper nine in ordinary time, which is July the 9th. Gavin, would you read it for us, please? Yes, sure. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Gavin, if you were preaching this pericope to your congregation, what would be your focus? Yeah, so I I think there are different sections of this passage that you can focus on, but uh, there's a section at the beginning that really kind of resonates with me. And certainly part of the reason it resonates is because I really like uh, the language that's used, but also because initially I I kind of struggled uh, when I read this passage to understand exactly how it fitted in with the rest of the scriptures. And it's in verse 17 when Jesus said, you know, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. Um, But this passage of scripture, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of my experience with my children. So I have three children who are all under 10. And inevitably, what happens uh, is the children, they enjoy imaginative play. And so they, the, all three of them are playing together. And then sooner or later, uh, one of them will get upset because the others aren't letting them to aren't letting them play the game that they want to play. So whatever the imaginary game is at the time, one of them will come through and say the other is not playing it right. And this is really what is being talked about in this passage. And I, I think it's, it's, it, it really uh, brings something of value that we can use when we're preaching. Uh, because, you know, for children, often we want to play the game that we want to play. And if others aren't playing it the way we want, uh, we get upset with them. We want to be in control. We want to have a say about what others do. And this is the, the context of what Jesus is saying, that the, you know, the children are sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. You know, we played the flute and, and you, you did not play along. You did not dance. And if we think of the larger context of, of, of what is being said here, uh, you know, Jesus is uh, uh, in a section where he's been uh, speaking about John the Baptist. And uh, in verse 18, when he talks about how John the Baptist came and he didn't eat and, you know, he didn't drink. Uh, and yet the response people said he was a demon. And then you have Jesus who comes and he does eat and he does drink. And they say he's a glutton and a drunkard. And it's basically, I think, uh, a really valuable thing that we can learn about the expectations that we have uh, uh, when it comes to religion, when it comes to church, when it comes to uh, so many of the things that these people, uh, they came up with reasons and excuses about why they could disregard uh, what John the Baptist said and what Jesus said, even though those reasons were contradictory. Uh, they wanted to be able to control the game, so to speak. They wanted to have control uh, of, of the narrative. Um, and I think we can really reflect on this verse and think, how do we respond to the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Uh, do we look for reasons to reject what Jesus says? Do we look for reasons when we read a verse and think, ah, oh, yes, but that, that verse, that section of that verse doesn't apply to me because of this or because of that? Or do we instead come with hearts that really desire to take scripture and apply it to our lives to to try and learn everything that we can from a passage in, of scripture and, and see how we can uh, apply it in a practical uh, sense to our lives, uh, uh, even if, uh, or even maybe particularly if, you know, uh, what is said in scripture perhaps uh, uh, causes us some some difficulty. You know, if, if we find it difficult, uh, the words that Jesus is speaking to us, those are really the times I think when we need to pay the most 
uh, attention. We can't just try and define uh, the Christianity, the religion that we want. Instead, we always need to go back to what Jesus actually says. And we need to be you know, receptive to the gospel message as opposed to trying to define what the gospel message says uh, and then get the Bible to fit in with what we believe. You mentioned how we look at Scripture. Obviously, we're coming to find out who God is uh, revealed in Jesus Christ, but also what is it saying to me? What's the response uh, in the power of the Spirit? And thinking of that practical application right now, Gavin, there's quite a few people in my life who feel weary, heavy. And Jesus said in this passage, come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. The world is weary, is it not? And it it seems like the world is crying out for real rest. Tell us about it. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I I think as we look around society today, you know, both in the UK, the US, wherever you are in the world, I think, you know, life is difficult. And I think many of us do feel that we are carrying burdens that are beyond us in many ways. And and this is such a beautiful passage of scripture um, because so many of us are crying out for rest. Um, But I think, you know, One of the beautiful things that Jesus is saying in this passage is, you know, when it comes to our own lives, you know, so often it's a struggle to do what we think is right. You know, Uh, uh, we carry all these burdens that that, that often we place upon us or others place on, 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 on us. And what Jesus is saying is, you know, we can rely on him. We can trust in him. Uh, I'm, really into um, food. I I enjoy cooking, I enjoy eating, uh, and I enjoy, you know, reading cookbooks and watching programs on cookery. And in some ways, this verse reminds me of something that you find in uh, high-end restaurants. So many high-end restaurants have what they call a test kitchen. And uh, one of the beauties of of a test kitchen is – you know, you can go out and, and, and there's no pressure on you, but instead there's there's freedom to try without the fear of failure that is, you know, so common in society today. You know, if you work in a restaurant, uh, the reality is you have to follow a recipe uh, every day and you have to make sure that uh, the people who are eating get the very best of what you can do. But the reality is, is, is that's very it's very trying, you know, it's all this pressure and this burden on you to try and get everything right. Uh, in a test kitchen instead, uh, that pressure is removed and instead there's freedom to try and create the best food that you can possibly create without the same fear of failure. And uh, often you have the guidance of a, a, an experienced uh, master chef who helps, you know, helps you to understand what you are doing. And in some ways, this is what this verse really speaks to me about, that Jesus is saying that we can take away the pressure of trying to get everything right ourselves. But instead, what we can do is just bring everything to Jesus. And he takes the pressure from us. And we have the freedom to 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 be the people that God designed us to be. And he is there. He, he We are yoked to him, but he's guiding us so that we can really respond to 
to him and, and what he's doing to be the very best of ourselves. So it, it's really taking away the, the, the pressure of trying to get everything right through our own strength. But instead, it's relying on Jesus Christ's strength and following where he is leading us. And in following where he is leading us, we have true freed, freedom. Uh, we're able to really, uh, you know, uh, try and be righteous without the fear of failure, without, you know, that, that, that kind of restrictions that, that is the reality that we face um, in this world. And I think this is a freedom that that the world needs, but it's, it's, it's also a rest. It's, it's a rest from relying on our own righteousness, our own works, and instead trusting and relying on Jesus Christ. Mm. Amen. Um, one thing I didn't expect to happen during that conversation was for me to get hungry. So what time do I come over for dinner, Gabby? <laughs> <laughs> now that I know what your passion is, uh, that's, that's good to know. Well, let's move on to our next passage of the month. It's Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. It's a revised common lectionary passage for proper 10 in ordinary time, which is July the 16th. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, then the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Gavin, if God the Father didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn people, I'm guessing he's not sending us as his ambassadors to condemn people. Tell us why no condemnation is ridiculously good news. It really is, Anthony. It really is such ridiculously good news. And, you know, the, the reality of sin is that we would all be condemned. And, you know, so often we, we have a, a kind of narrow view of sin or, or, or misunderstand sin in many ways. Uh, because sin isn't just, you know, a, a problem that we have as individuals, but we live in a world that's corrupted by sin. And, and sin isn't the, the, the problem, the, the full sense of the problem in that when we try and live an ethical life, you know, it's not just the bad column we have, but also we are called to do good works. And when we miss opportunities uh, to do good works, then uh, that, that creates a challenge for us as well. But the, the whole concept of no condemnation is really moving to a completely different system. And it's, you know, the system of grace. And it's, it's really this, this, this whole transformation 
in the way that we understand the world. It's moving from looking where everything condemns us to life, to, to, to grace, to understanding that the world works in a different way. And I think really to understand that, it's, it's to understand who God is and how he can do this for us. Because so much of the way that the world works, even today, is an eye for an eye. This idea that when you make a mistake, you need to be punished, you need to be condemned for that mistake. And part of the problem that we have um, as human beings is, is, is some of the mistakes we make, we just don't have the power within us to restore. Uh, but of course, God does have the power to restore, you know, any mistake that we make, you know, uh, uh, if, you know, somebody loses their eye, you know, that, that that's beyond our power to do something about, but it's not beyond God's power. God has the ability to, to, to restore things in a way that's beyond what we can. And this is really how we move into that different system, that system of grace. And it's, it's why no condemnation is, is, is such good news is because it's transformational to those who understand that they are not condemned. And, and this is why, you know, I think when you talked about this is Jesus isn't sending us out into the world to condemn others because the reality is, is he's taking us out of this system of condemnation completely. Uh, he's moving us into this system of grace. And so we're not sent out to condemn people. Instead, we are sent out to show grace to people. So it's a completely different way of looking at, at life that we see. And, and this is what Paul is talking about uh, in this passage. Uh, you know, he's talking about a different way of living that we have been given in Jesus Christ, uh, uh, how we now have the spirit of life as opposed to the law of sin and death. And of course, life comes from God. God is the one who gives us life. Um, and this is this is why it's such ridiculously good news, as you put it. No condemnation in Jesus Christ. It is a different kind of system, isn't it? Uh, we see in Father, Son, and Spirit a restorative justice, not a retributive one. And, and we do want people to pay, right? Like you you mentioned, and, and you see that even in the Psalms. You know, some of the cries to to God is, "When, when are you going to smite these people, right, <laughs> that are after me?" Uh, but Thanks be to God that he does restore. Help us to exegete verses five through eight. How do we rightly talk about living according to the Spirit? How do we know if we're doing it? Yeah, so uh, this is obviously as Christians, you know, we, we read passages like this uh, in Romans 8, and obviously we want to be, you know, living according to the Spirit. And it can be sometimes challenging when we read Paul's words to understand how to put them in, in, in context in our lives. And I think it's important to understand a couple of things uh, as we look through uh, uh, verses uh, 5 you know, through to 9 uh, and 5 through to 8. Um, but as we look uh, at these this section of Scripture, one of the things that I think we need to be clear on is Paul is not really contrasting the physical with the spiritual. That's not the contrast he's talking about. When he's talking about flesh, you know, he's talking about our sinful nature in many ways. So it's not saying that, you know, our, our physical bodies are the problem and that, you know, our spirit is not. That's not the contrast. 
but rather it's really reflecting how we choose to live our lives, what we cho- choose to have as our focus and as our priorities. Um, and uh, this is what he's talking about uh, uh, when he's encouraging us uh, in this section. And in many ways, I think really what he's describing in these verses is repentance. Uh, what he's describing is a turning away from the ways of our previous life, the ways of our previous sinful nature, and a turning to God, to embracing what God is doing in our lives, what God is doing in the world, what we are choosing to focus upon. Um, you know, there's that, that, that beautiful him, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. Uh, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And this is really what Paul is talking about here for us, um, you know, to, to, to no longer dwell on the previous things in our life, but instead to uh, focus on the things of the Spirit, to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And I think it's important that we understand the now and not yet of this verse, because sometimes as Christians, we can struggle with that um, because, you know, uh, both elements are are clearly there. And Paul here is talking, uh, you know, in this sense, we can't take this as a now. The reality is that we do still struggle uh, with sin. We still struggle with our sinful nature. And Paul isn't ignoring the fact that we struggle with our sinful nature, but rather, you know, he's encouraging us to also, you know, reflect on the not yet reflect that there is going to be a time when sin is behind us. And what we need to do now is to have this repentance, to have this turning towards God, turning towards the things of God, turning towards the things of the Spirit. And this is what he's talking about um, in this passage. Um, It's repentance at its very heart. Um, But I think uh, uh, for us, uh, you know, when we talk about living according to the Spirit, you know, it's talking about a turning to God. It's uh, talking about our priorities and choosing how we affect our priorities. And it's really interesting that uh, you know, in the scientific world, there's increasing evidence that, you know, what we choose to focus on actually affects, you know, the wiring of our, our, our brain itself. And here, you know, Paul, in many ways, was well ahead of the, 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 the science in this sense in telling us that if we focus on the right things, if we focus on, you know, the, 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 the work of the Spirit, uh, then, you know, we will see the change that we want as Christians. We will see, you know, uh, a life of repentance take place. Mm. You made me think of a, a quote I read from Leslie Newbegin, that we are shaped by what we attend to. And I think that's what you were speaking to. Let's transition to the next passage, which is Romans chapter 8, 12 through 25. It is the Revised Common Lectionary Passage for Proper 11 in Ordinary Time, which is July the 23rd. Gavin, do us the honors, please. So then, brothers and sisters, we are obligated not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if we in fact suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we await for adoption the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what one already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hmm. The doctrine of justification gets quite a bit of attention in the commentaries on Romans, and and quite justifi- justifiably so, pun intended. Uh, hallelujah, <laughs> praise God that we are justified. But it seems to me little appears to be said about the adoption, uh, the doctrine of adoption. Why is our adoption as God's children instrumental to our understanding of the gospel and our relationship with the triune God? Yeah, thanks, Anthony. I I think that's a good point. And I think the way I like to view this is the doctrine of justification, you know, that that helps us understand what we are being saved from. But the doctrine of adoption helps us to understand what we are being saved for. Uh, So they're kind of different sides of the same coin, so to speak. Um, But I think it, it is really important for us to understand that we have been saved for a purpose. And when we understand what that purpose is, it's really exciting. And this is this is what the doctrine of adoption is about. And you know, this is uh, what Paul is talking about um, in this passage, is, is that we are able to cry, Abba, Father, because of what Jesus Christ has done. And I think it's helpful to understand a little bit about um, the Roman system of adoption uh, that was at the place, uh, you know, in place at the time of Paul's writing, because it can help us understand a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, the significance uh, of adoption. Because in Roman culture, it, you know, adoption was something that did take place, and often it would be adults who would be adopted. It, it wasn't normally children who were adopted, but rather adults. So you would have, uh, you know, a, 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 a wealthy person or a person of power. And they would uh, adopt somebody to become their heirs. Uh, and often there would be, you know, uh, some, some reason why that adoption was taking place. Uh, but this was a, a legal process that was recognized in the Roman world, you know, that, that, that adults did become uh, uh, adopted and then become rightful heirs. In some cases, even above, you know, uh, the, the, the blood family of the person involved. And there were many famous examples of that. And, and while it was primarily, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, men and adults, it wasn't universally so. There are cases of women being adopted and children being adopted as well. But it's it wasn't adoption in the way that we often think of adoption in the modern sense, which is, uh, you know, uh, what we see in the world around us. 
But I think one of the reasons it's so significant here is, again, if we think of how this changes our relationship, but what is actually being said when we understand the doctrine of adoption, when we understand what Paul is saying in, in this verse, is that we are children of God in Christ. We are heirs of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. And when we understand who Jesus Christ is, that he is, you know, uh, the son of the father, that, 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 you know, he, he is uh, the second person in the Trinity. Uh, it, it really is beyond our wildest imagination that we have been included in that relationship. We have been included uh, in what Jesus Christ has in his relationship with the Father, that, that, that we are his children to the point that we can cry out, Abba, Father, we can cry out, you know, to, to to our Father in the most intimate terms. And when we do so, you know, Paul describes that as the, the Holy Spirit in us bearing witness to the fact that we are children of God. And this is this is the purpose for which we were saved. Uh, we weren't just saved and, and then left to our own devices. No, we were saved so that we could be, you know, God's children. We were saved so that we could be adopted and be co-heirs with Christ. And that's such a, a beautiful concept, but it also gives us this, 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 this hope for the future uh, when we understand that, you know, we haven't just been saved from our sins, as incredible as that fact is. In fact, God goes even further and he includes us into his family. He, he makes us uh, his children and that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Hmm. There's a lot of groaning going on in this passage, Kevin. <laughs> Help us to apprehend what Paul is writing for us in the latter half of the pericope. Yeah, <laughs> there is quite a lot of groaning. And uh, uh, when you read through this, it, it is one of those words that stands out. Um, I think verse 22 is, is, is a really helpful one for us to understand what Paul is talking about when he's talking about the groaning, uh, because he says, we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor. And uh, uh, as we think about that, you know, you think of a pregnant woman who uh, is in, you know, incredible pain through much of the periods of labor, and they will be groaning and, 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 and yelling out. But it's a kind of preparation for what is to come and, and, and the joy of the child that is about to be uh, born. And I think it helps us to understand that what Paul is talking about in the groaning is, is there is a part of ourselves, there's a part of creation all around us that is longing for this time when sin will be no more, is longing for this time when, uh, you know, everything will come to that fullness that, 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 that has been promised to us in Jesus Christ. And so I, I really think it's talking about the longing that uh, we have in us for a time when there will be no more sin, a time when we will have uh, the new earth and the new heaven that, that Paul talks about elsewhere in Scripture. And so when he's talking about the groaning in this passage, it, it's groaning in the sense of anticipation, but it's also a, recon, a recognition at this moment that, the world that we live in is not the way that it should be, that it is a world that is marred by pain, is marred by sin, but that 
the pain and the sin of this world is not the final word. Instead, it is, you know, uh, uh, something we are going through, uh, the, the, the pain of labor we have uh, as we look forward to that time uh, when we will have the redemption of our bodies, as Paul puts it, while we wait for adoption. And so it focuses us, yes, we, we, we recognize the problems in the world around us, but it also clearly, you know, paints the picture of the hope that we have in the future. And, and that is the hope that we look for, that we wait for with patience. Yeah, that's a good word. That pain doesn't get the final word. We know that Jesus Christ is the inerrant and infallible living word of God, and he has the final word. Uh, but it also gets me thinking, Gavin, how it would reframe pain that we experience on this side of the veil of heaven to understand it as labor pain. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. that there is something more to come, new life that we will experience in its fullness. Our final passage of the month is Romans chapter 8, 26 through 39. It is a revised common lectionary passage for proper 12 in ordinary time, which is July the 30th. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And God, who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ who died, or rather, who was raised, who is also at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's probably unfair to only have a few moments, Gavin, to discuss this uh, amazing passage. Uh, it's a challenge to even know where to begin. Um, so where would you like to begin, Gavin? This is such a, a beautiful passage of Scripture. Um, I mean, really, this is, as as you kind of reflect on those words, and you know, you can almost get lost in them, because this is Paul at his very best, I think, uh, in this section in Scripture. But uh, if we go back to the, the, the start of our passage here, 
I think really what he's saying is is so encouraging for us um, as Christians, as 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 disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we we aren't doing this alone. That in everything that we do, you know, God is with us. You know, the, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And I think particularly for a lot of you know new believers, this is this is a passage that is really helpful for them to understand that you know God isn't asking them to rely on their own strength. And and even when it comes to something which is you know as fundamental for Christians as praying. You know, uh, uh, God helps us with our prayers. And, you know, sometimes uh, for new believers, it, it can be really challenging when uh, you are praying with other believers. And, you know, some believers really have a gift for prayer. And when they pray, you know, it, it's so uplifting and encouraging. And as a new believer, you can struggle because sometimes your prayer life is, is still developing you know, sometimes you might even find it difficult to know where to begin in prayer. But what this verse is saying is, just start. Because the truth is, you know, the Spirit helps us that that even when we pray, you know, often when we pray, our prayers are, are often very selfish. You know, they're focused often on our, our immediate needs and, you know, Sometimes they go a little bit beyond that. But the reality is, is that every time we pray, you know, the Holy Spirit is is interceding with us and transforming our prayers as they're presented to God. And, and God knows our hearts. He, he knows the mind of the Spirit and, and He knows what we need. And this is, this is the God we worship. This is the God we praise. This is the God who loves us, that even when it comes to prayer, he is at work for us. He is helping us. And so it means that we should never hesitate in our prayers. We, we have nothing to fear about praying to God or, or that we make mistakes in our prayer because inevitably we will or sometimes say the wrong thing or, or sometimes we don't even know what to say. You know, sometimes we are confronted with difficult scenarios and we don't even know the right thing to pray for. You know, I, I, I've been, uh, uh, at people who are very unwell and are, are at the point where, you know, it, it's not clear uh, what their future should be. You know, what is the, the best thing for them at that stage in their life? And sometimes we just don't even know what to pray in those circumstances. But the good news is, you know, the Holy Spirit is with us. We don't, we don't do anything by ourselves. God is with us. He is for us. And this is what this passage is, is saying. And, you know, again, if we go back to that now and, and not yet concept is, is, is here God is saying is, is, you know, his plans for us is, is more than we might think. You know, he, he predestined every one of us to be conformed to the image of his son. He predestined every one of us to, to be like Jesus. And, and that's an incredible thought. You know, we, we, we can think in our own lives, how are we ever going to, 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 to be remotely like Jesus? And yet here we're told the Spirit helps us in our weakness, helps us to be conformed to the image uh, of his son, the image of Jesus Christ. And and so this is this is really encouraging news, and that's certainly where I would begin on this passage because I think this is this is something that p people new in the faith really need to hear and to understand that that they do not engage 
uh, in discipleship alone. God is with them at every stage through the process. Yeah, I've often asked, you know, if, if the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf and Jesus is also interceding on our behalf at the right hand of the Father, which this passage points to, why bother to pray? You know, if they are praying for us and they they uh, know the will of the Father, but it's it's relational, right? Uh, just yeah. like with your own three children, Gavin, you you probably have a pretty good idea of what their school life looks like, but you still want to know, right? To hear them talk about their experiences uh, because it's relational. And I think that's part of what conforms us to the image of the Son is in our time of just relating with God in the Spirit as they intercede on our behalf, that we come to know something of the mind of Christ, and we are formed by it. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, I'm, I'm hard-pressed yeah. to think of a better way to end our time together than the worshiping the God who says nothing can separate us. And he, I think he really means nothing, <laughs> right, as he goes through this litany yeah. of lists here from the Apostle Paul. So herald this good news for us, Gavin. Yeah, so this is, this is just such a, a beautiful section of Scripture here. And to think that there's just nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And it, it, it's such a, such a powerful concept because the reality is, 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 is that so often in our lives, we do feel separated. We do feel isolated from others. You know, if you look around society today, loneliness is such a, a problem in society. People feel alone. Uh, people feel unloved. And, and, and you can see this uh, uh, throughout societies and in different cultures and different places around the world. And yet the good news is nobody is unloved. You know, God's love for us is so much greater than we can imagine. You know, His love was so great that He gave His own Son, Jesus Christ, so that all of us can have life, so that all of us can share in the inheritance that that that, that Jesus Christ has. Uh, you know, this is the good news that we are called to. But, you know, the reality is, is, is that if we go through periods where we do feel separated, we need to return to this scripture. We need to remember the promise we have. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. And then Paul goes on to, you know, to, to really highlight that it's absolutely nothing. You know, the death itself cannot separate us from the love of God. So nobody who has died is separated from the love of God. Nothing we can face in life can separate us from the love of God. You know, there are no beings or powers out there that can separate us from God's love. Uh, you know, there's no there's no heights, there's depth, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so really, this... This should be our identity as Christians. This should be the foundation that we rest upon, that we are loved by God with a love that we as humans will spend the rest of our lives slowly beginning to understand more and more of. I don't think there'll ever be a stage where we as human beings, you know, fully understand uh, the fullness of God's love, but we will spend the rest of our lives, the rest of our, our, our you know, rest of eternity learning more and more uh, the love that God has for us, the love that has been displayed for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
Hallelujah. That is some really, really good news. And I want to thank you, Gavin, for joining us here on Gospel Reverb. It's been a blessing to have this conversation around something we're both passionate about, and that is uh, the written word of our Lord. And I want to remind our listeners, Christ has descended deeper than any abyss you might find yourself falling into. He has likewise ascended higher than all things and now carries with him his humanity in the presence of our Father. And therefore, Paul can say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. I want to thank Ruel Anario, our podcast producer, who does such a great job, and also Elizabeth Mullins, my wife. I, I, I like her exceptionally, and she also does the transcription. So Gavin, your words are going to be remembered for a long time to come. Thank you for them. And as our tradition here on the podcast, we like to end in prayer. Gavin, would you please pray for us? Sure. Heavenly Father, Father, what a joy it is to be able to spend time in Scripture to reflect on the words that you have given us, Lord, words that testify to your Son, Jesus Christ, that testify to what Jesus Christ has done for us. And as we have looked at these words, Lords, one of the things that is so striking is the love that you have for us. And Father, you know, words don't begin to describe that love. We we find ourselves struggling at the very limits of language as we try and, and, and articulate how great the love that you have for us is, Lord. But Father, we praise you. We we thank you for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for everybody who's listening to this podcast that you will inspire them, that you will encourage them, that you will help them to hear your words to them, Lord, as they listen to this podcast, and that you will encourage them to go out and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of, of what Jesus Christ has done for us, that he has saved us from our sins, that we no longer have to try and work out our own salvation. We, we, we no longer have to try and, and, and work out our own righteousness, but instead we just rest and trust in Jesus. And through Jesus, we have been saved for a purpose. And, and that purpose is life with you, Lord. And Father, we thank you for the hope that you have given us. We thank you that as difficult as this world may be, as, as difficult as the challenges that we face on a daily basis in our lives, that that we know we have a eternal future that is secure in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we, we, we ask that you help us to rest in that good news, to rest in that hope. And, and Father, let us turn our eyes squarely on your Son, Jesus Christ. Let us joyfully move towards him in every way that we possibly can. And so, Father, I just pray for everybody listening to this, and I pray for your, the church. I pay, pray for the body of Christ that you will encourage that, and, and we just pray for that time when you will return to this world in glory, and and the whole earth will, will, will finally understand who you are, Lord. That is that is our longing. That is what we hope for. And so we just give all praise to you. And, and I thank you for everybody involved in this podcast who has helped made it happen as well, Lord. I, I just thank you, Lord. And I say this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for being a guest of Gospel Reverb. If you like what you heard, give us a high rating and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. Share this episode with a friend. It really does help us get the word out as we are just getting started. 
Join us next month for a new show and insights from the RCL. Until then, peace be with you.